What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Another edition of Imagine Publicity on Air. I'm your host, Delilah Jones from Imagine Publicity, who sponsors the programming here on the Inside Lens Network. We're a small boutique agency that works with individuals, authors, nonprofits, doing social media management, virtual assistants, just about anything you don't want to do or don't know how to do online. Um, we tailor our services to the needs of the client, so give us a call if you have a need. And a quick plug for the Inside Lens Network, it's a collection of podcasts with issue-oriented programming on shows like Crime Wire, hosted by Denny Griffin, Shattered Lives, hosted by Donna Gore. This one, Imagine Publicity on Air, there's, there's episodes on writer's tips, mafia and mob stories so you can binge on close to 700 episodes so there's something for everyone and I want to welcome my guest today who comes to me courtesy of Wild Blue Press author Judith Yates whose latest book is Bullied by Death the story of bullying social media and the suicide of Cherokee Herman Harriman I knew I was going to say that wrong Harriman Cherokee Harriman Judith can you give us a little bit of background um about yourself as a criminologist and a crime author. I know you've you've written several books, so tell us about yourself. Okay. Well, um, I was working on a Ph.D. in criminal justice, and I have worked in just different phases of law enforcement, everything from loss prevention to the sheriff's office to the Federal Bureau of Prisons and have gone to different law enforcement schools across the United States. Um, Had a stroke several years ago and couldn't teach anymore. I was a professor and decided, okay, what do I really want to do? I was doing some writing here and there for uh, online publications and decided that uh, a book was in order on a case that I was writing about for uh, online criminal justice publication, and it just started from there. Great. And this particular book, Bullied by Death, can you just give us a brief synopsis of of what happened to Cherokee Harriman? Okay. Well, it's I'll have to correct you. It's called Bullied to Death. And Cherokee uh, was a little girl growing up in a small town 
called Laverne, Tennessee, which is just southeast of Nashville. Um, in September 2015, she was in a park called Mankin Park, which is in Laverne. Uh, at the time, Cherokee was just 14, and she was just hanging out by herself in Mankin Park. She was approached by an alleged bully and the bully's friends and was uh, was verbally attacked by the girl. And there was an exchange of words. Well, Cherokee left, and she went home, was just uh, maybe two blocks away. She returned to the park with a kitchen knife that she snuck out of the house, and she yelled at the kids. And when they looked at her, Cherokee stabbed herself in the stomach with a kitchen knife. She was later pronounced deceased. Investigators deemed that it was a fight between the kids over a boy, and they closed the case. The coroner ruled it was a suicide, and some people wondered if it went further than that, and some even dared to say that it was a murder, that the kids had an actual hand in it. And Cherokee's case is what is typical of what is now being called bullicide, which is when a child commits suicide, where it is generally believed that they have committed suicide because they've been bullied by their peers. Well, what an awful way to go. I mean, seriously, how, in your experience, even with suicides, how many times would someone stab themselves? I think, you know, there are so many other ways to attempt suicide, but by stabbing yourself in front of she was in front of her friends, too, wasn't she? Well, she was in front of the kids that it was uh, several boys, several girls that uh, had approached her, and she and the girl exchanged words. And depending on who you talk to, the other girl also got under the fray. And, you know, she comes back with that knife, holds it over her head in, in both fists, and then swings it over her head into her into her stomach, stabbing herself. She hit a main artery, and she bled out is what caused her death. But it is, and that's one of the reasons that, I, you know, it just struck me as so violent and, and so self-defeating an act is, and as we said, it, it was a heinous, I guess you'd say a crime against oneself. Oh, exactly, you know, exactly. For a little it's girl, just, for a little fourteen-year-old girl to do. I know. I mean, I, I your mind is hard. It's hard to wrap your mind around this. It is for me because I can see in anger a kid stabbing someone else, or you know, even I've seen, I've heard of him stabbing their parents, which is just as bad. But. Um, it, it, I, you hardly ever hear of someone stabbing themselves. It just doesn't compute with me. So right. I guess maybe that was one thing that really struck me as far as this child's desperation and what exactly. was she feeling inside of her and how did she, how did she come to the point where she was feeling that desperate? Right, and that's one of the one of the things that. Uh, you know, when I kept looking at her photo and I became aware of this story and I kept looking at her picture and she just had the face of an angel. She just had such this aura, this soft yellow aura around her. 
And I kept thinking, what brought this beautiful little girl with such a sweet face to commit such a brutal act against herself? And and what could go through her her head, her mind, her her soul to stand in front of these kids and do this? You know, and that's one of the one of the things that led me down the path to write her story. Well, can you can you go into some of of Cherokee's background as to what her family life was like? Sure. Well, Cherokee had had. You know, she was a very sweet girl. She was quite the dichotomy. She was a very sweet, loving girl. And of most, she loved her family. And she loved to draw. She was very good at art. She was uh, very good at doing hair and nails. She wanted to open her own salon. She could look at a YouTube video once, and she could copy the most difficult hairstyles, braids and such. And her few friends that she had said that she was a very loyal friend. She was a very good shoulder to cry on. You could tell her, you know, their deepest, darkest secrets and she would hold them. And she was very quick to give sincere hugs and say, I love you. She was boy crazy. And yet on the flip side of that, she had a lot of emotional problems. She had a lot of um, issues she was fire setting. She was stealing. She, you know, her family did not come from the wealthiest of backgrounds, so they didn't have a lot of money to buy Cherokee things like her friends had. And she resorted to stealing, and it was never anything of value. It was little bracelets and trinkets and nail polish, just things she wanted to look pretty. She was in and out of mental health hospitals as a result of. Uh, sexual molestation at a very young age. She had been diagnosed with several different, you know, PTSD was one of them. Uh, bipolar disorder was another one. And she was overt, overly emotional, um, very dramatic. She wet the bed at an early age up into an older age. She had all the typical signs of a emotionally sexually abused child. She fought quite a bit with her family, and one of the things that she was always saying was, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself. And she would use that when she didn't get her way, when she didn't want to go to school, when she was being made to do something that she didn't like, right away she would be saying, well, then I'm just going to kill myself. Until pretty soon it just became the norm. Right. Was, so it was yeah, it was her way of of pushing back, so to speak, in sure, in was, situations that she was being forced to do what she didn't really want to do, which all kids are up against, you know. I mean, we read and see so much of this type of behavior now. I, I mean, do you feel like it is more prevalent, or are we just hearing about it more? Well, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm a criminologist. I can only tell you what I have learned through my investigation, through my research, particularly with this book. And I always say, for example, when people say crime is more prevalent, you know, look at all the child molesters out there now. 
it's always been there. It's just we're reading about it more now. We're seeing it more now because it is no longer something that we keep under the table. You know, for example, crimes against children, it used to be very hush-hush. We didn't talk about it. It was the family secret. Well, now we're hearing more about it because we're seeing it on the news. We're hearing about it. And it's okay to talk about it. It's okay for someone to come out and say, I was abused as a child. People are writing books which is, about it. They're coming out on yeah, TV. Which is a positive thing because I feel like the more that you're able to speak freely about it or it, it, it tends to lead towards a better healing experience. Whether If you're keeping it all internalized, of course, that's not going to help. Um, so in that aspect, I think being able to speak about it and getting it out into the open so the public is more aware of these things, it, it has its good points. But on the other hand, people feel so free now to, like we were talking about on air or off air, bringing the skeletons out of the closet and parading them down the street. Um, right. <laughs> there, there seems to be less and less filtering of emotions or the way people feel. And, and sometimes we even act as a, as a mob mentality almost. Yeah. And I think that's a good, I think that's a very good analogy you made. And when we were talking off air about, see, back in the day, we kept the skeletons in the closet and we stuffed them in the closet. And we don't, you know, we don't talk about the parents are drinking or they beat the kids. And we don't talk about I was in a mental health hospital or this person had a baby out of wedlock. And now our skeletons are, you know, walking down the street with bullhorns, you know, because we're more accepting of things and we need to talk about things because people keeping these things bottled up, you know, leading to issues, leading to problems. You know, for example, Cherokee was in and out of mental health hospitals since, you know, she was a child. She was threatening suicide, you know, when she was first learning to talk. And one of the things that I'm very family for when I got their permission to write the story, which I wouldn't have done it without them, was tell everything. And they gave me access to all of her records. That tells me something because I am able to tell her story correctly and help other kids by telling her story. Whereas so many years ago, Cherokee going in and out of mental health hospitals, we would have never discussed that. We would have said she went on vacation or something, you know, to that effect. Exactly. So and we've got to be honest. Right. And I've, I've often had the discussion with a lot of different people on the advent of social media. And I think that has contributed to a lot of this attitude in, in our society today in that there there are very few secrets that are kept anymore. People feel compelled to tell their secrets to people they don't even know. Whoever whoever can read that profile will know whatever it is they're saying. And what do you feel like in Cherokee's case? Did social media play a big part in maybe accelerating her feelings? Well, social media plays a part in all of our feelings and all of our lives, literally since the telephone was invented, since the camera was invented. You know, it's it's 
a part of our lives since think about it back in way back when we were using locks to draw in, in paint to draw on walls to tell our stories. People want to tell their stories. And that's actually one of my favorite, you know, mantras is it's from the movie Erin Brockovich, and it actually happened where Ed Masary tells her potential and a very good lead, and he says, just listen to him because people want to tell their story. And that's absolutely true. People want to tell their story regardless if they're, you know, a caveman drawing on the wall or a person in front of Facebook, you know, blogging. And it's true, you know, and like so many of us, Cherokee did put it out there on social media. And if you read it all, you can see her highs and her lows, you know, the boyfriends that she loves. And then weeks later, she's calling them names and she hates him. And even to announce her demise to people that they didn't telephone, her death was announced on Facebook. It was, a, you know, rest in peace. And, you know, we want to blame social media. We want to blame social media in her case. And I don't think it's right to entirely blame social media. You know, we always need something to blame for a tragedy. Um, It was because this kind of car is dangerous. It's because social media, you know, everybody wants to be mean on social. It's because of this and that. And, you know, social media is very easy to blame because it can't fight back. And anything new, such as technology in our in our generation, it brings both good and bad consequences. You know, it's bad consequences. I can hide behind a screen and I can write whatever I want and I can be whoever I want and who's going to know. But on the other oh, hand, if it true. wasn't for... Oh, yeah. It, you know, on the other hand, if it wasn't for social media, I could not have written a lot of this book because I got so much information from social media and I've done, you know, so much research in part because I did have the computer. Oh, absolutely. It's it's, it's amazing what that footprint can tell you about a person. And and we oh, all yeah. do leave footprints, footprints, fingerprints, all kind of prints all over the place every time you log in. So it's, but I agree with you. I think there are definite positive and negative influences of social media on, in all of our lives. It's here to stay. So, and and it's it has become the scapegoat for so much that's gone wrong. It's it's so easy to blame. And going back to the bullying side of this. This is another issue that I think um, not just in Cherokee's case, but I've I've seen it in others as well, where the the finger of blame is pointed, no matter what kind of tragedy it is, we, we do have that need to blame something or somebody. And in this case, it's blamed on bullying. What, what are your feelings about that? Well, you know, I wondered about that going into this as well because I I did a lot of research on other kids and I talked to so many different professionals and bullying is not the sole cause of of suicide in these children, in this bullicide um, phenomena. 
It is a component trauma on top of these pre-existing traumas. And these traumas are things like mental illness, personality disorders, problems in the home, uh, learning disorders, drug and alcohol abuse, social problems. Basically, like I explained, one creates the other. You know, all of these things are going to create problems with social skills that are taken to school with, you know, which creates learning problems, which you take that back to home, which is going to create problems at home. You know, uh, maybe people at the home, maybe it's not necessarily their fault. They just don't have the financial or the educational or the sophistication to handle the problems in the home or the problems that's going on in school. So you've got all of these traumas going on with these kids, and then you have the bullying on top of it. Now, well, is this feel, something new? Is is I, I mean, is this something new that we're learning about? And and I know, you know, within within the mental health community, there's there's all types of new disorders that they come up with, which I think are really just renaming something that's always been there. But it's it's that again. Is why are our kids in such crisis? I think it's a little both. I think it's that we've we've put new names on things and because there's always been bullying, you know, we're, I think we're lumping a lot of things together. I think we're lumping teasing and kidding. And as we said in Texas, picking in with bullying, you know, I think we're lumping it all together. And I also think that it's always been there since the beginning of time because it deals with people. And I recently read a very good article about how it's also um, as part of uh, the animal kingdom, which I thought was fascinating. The only difference is animals don't do it to be mean. They do it as part of the pecking order in their group. Well, that's that's an interesting take on it. Quite interesting. But yeah, I agree. There's, you know, there's always been mean kids around. There's always been, you know, kids that pick on other kids. And I don't know, our parents today maybe, maybe making too much of it or not enough of it. Or, you know, I, I, I totally agree with you that a lot of this goes back to the home and how we as adults and as parents conduct ourselves as an example I mean, if we're if we're at a at a baseball match and we're mad because our kid didn't get something right, and we blame it on the coach and we're screaming at each other. That's the example that we're setting, and perhaps that's where we need to look first to try to fix this. Well, you know, several things I learned out of writing this book is. You know, I, I kept getting hit with, well, I was, I was picked on a school and I didn't kill myself or I didn't pick up a gun and shoot. Okay, well, like I explained, bullying is this chronic trauma on top of these pre-existing. Some kids crack and, and hurt themselves or kill themselves or pick up a gun or do something, you know, horrible. And some kids, for whatever reason, have it in them that they can just slog on and keep going. And... You know, I initially believed bullying was the big kid picking on the little kid in the schoolyard. But really, if you look at the big picture, bullying is universal. It's in systems like healthcare, education. They can be 
you know, the education system can be considered a bully if you look at if you look at the big picture. Uh, there's bullying in families, in work supervisors. If you have ever been involved in a sexual harassment case, like most women and some men, then you see that it exists in that system. And it's just, it's in our systems, you know, it, you can't escape it. And exactly. so it's just, it's a trickle-down effect. Um, one of the schools that TRT attended years, several years after her demise, a, uh, I think it's a principal that was treating the staff just heinous. And if you look at, you know, their definition of bullying, that's what he was doing to his staff. He was receiving the lowest ratings um, on different rating systems, you know, ratemyteacher.com and such. But yet the, the school district was keeping him in place. And teachers were taking early retirement to get away. They were just walking out. They were quitting. But yet he was kept in place. There's a bullying system. And don't tell me that there's no trickle-down effect. Right. And it's you're right. We see it everywhere we go. And I think, I, I guess there is no handbook on how to handle this. Yes, you can file harassment suits. You can do this. You can do that. But what it boils down to is in each and every one of us to take a closer look at how we're handling ourselves in these types of situations. Um, we can't always be peace, love, and happiness. But on the other hand, we can't always blame or project blame on another object or another person when bad things happen in a in a good world so to speak but going back to going back to Cherokee's family what were their feelings when you started this project i mean were they cooperative with you um what was what was that all like for you they were definitely cooperative and you know, I explained to them I'm going to need her school records. I'm going to need her mental health records. Um, the, now, DHS records were impossible because of the time, uh, because it's DHS. But I tried. And I told them, I said, you know, I'm going to need everything about this kid's life that I can get my hands on. Anything you need, you just let us know. And, you know, when I work with a story, I think it was a little over three, almost four years I worked this book. I became very close to those people. It's like they're my extended family. And they were they were wonderful. Anything I needed, any questions I had asked, and they put it all out there, the good and the bad and the very horrific, because this was their child's story, would help keep another child safe. They were more than willing. Well, that's good to know. Then, and becoming that close to them, I'm sure that you were able to be a part of of whatever was going on with them, just like a family would. I'm sure they didn't agree to everything, just as you didn't agree to everything. And maybe there was a little conflict here and there um, in the middle of it. But with her, well, with knowing her family, like you have have come to know them do you feel that that 
they're to blame for her problems, that, that they contributed to um, what happened to her? Well, you know, I'm not the judge and I'm not the jury of these people. I'm the recorder. And so I'm not going to say, well, it's the parents. I'm not going to say, well, it's the school. I'm not going to say it's the mental health hospital. That's, that's not my job. Any one thing is to blame to what happened to Cherokee. I think it's a system. I think it's a system of everything and all of the above. And her family did the absolute best they could with what they had to work with. And they loved that child unconditionally. And, and you know, that's really good to know because I think, again, as a society, we're very, very quick to judge. We see that every day as well on social media. So many judgments about each other and what we're doing and not doing and how to do this right and how to do that right. And, and we've we've become so black and white and there's very little gray area. And I think too, maybe you can, maybe you can expound on this with teens today. They're faced with so many things out there. I think even more so than, than in past generations where, you know, like, like you were speaking about earlier, you can turn on a YouTube video and learn how to do just about anything. So, and, and it's all the good, the bad, and the ugly that's out there. So I guess it depends on what that particular child is going to glob onto um, with their online experiences as to maybe a direction that they're headed. Um, what do you think about that? Well, you know, and I, I spoke to so many of Cherokee's friends, and they talked about suicide, and they talked about self-mutilation, and drugs and alcohol and their parents being locked up in prison or in jail. And they all talked about it like it was just the norm. Like they would talk about, you know, what homework they had or what classes they had together. And I got to thinking, God, you know, they're, they're 14 years old, they're 12 years old and they're, they're all tried mutilation and they've all tried, you know, weed and they've all done. And so I kind of sat back and, and thought, wait a minute. So again, I started doing some more research and some more reading. And I thought, okay, in ancient Greece, kids were lucky to live to 20. And at one part, you know, in time, if you were, you were a certain religion or race, you were lucky if you were not gassed in the gas chamber. And another time in society, you know, you weren't allowed to go to a school because of the color of your skin, no matter how, how old you were. You know, you had to go to the quote-unquote black school and read from second- or third-hand books, and you weren't given as best an education as you could have gotten. So I think that all along through history, kids have had to face problems and issues. They've just been different kind of problems and issues. Right, on top of all of the physical, mental, and hormonal changes that they go through at that age, too. You know, and it makes us all a little crazy. I wouldn't wouldn't want to do it again. No, I'll send in. I'll send a stand in, man. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I agree. 
I totally agree. That's and and to sit back and watch our own kids and grandkids going through it, I just shake my head again and oh, it, it is it's rough. It's a tough world out there, and uh, oh. it's you know again with going back to the internet again and again that there's we can sit here and not even move and access information that. 20 years ago we never had access to or we had it took a long time to find it and now it's just a a couple of keystrokes away so it's it's, yeah you know I I was lucky you know my daughters when I married my daughters are in their 20s my stepdaughters and you know of course I still go who is this guy you know let me see his picture okay what does he do who is he what's his background What, what are his parents and one of them I would say I need to talk to him first, which means interview. And one will say, no, I'm not bringing him around for you to talk to. And the other one goes, okay, you know. And <laughs> I know they talked. She's going to interview him, you know. And I say, okay, I'll find out what I need to know, and I will, you know. So social media does have its place. Exactly. <laughs> if parents would just use it properly, they could find out oh, more yeah. than they want to know. <laughs> and then, well, going back to, you know, the Sherry Key's story, what what would be, what would you want all of the listeners that are listening to this know about, maybe about her, what happened to her, and, and what would be the message of this tragedy? Well, some of the kids, really wanted to help me out. And the parents told them, no, you don't want to get involved. Just forget this happened and moved on. This includes the kids that witnessed what she did, witnessed her, her suicide. And that I will be the judge there. That wasn't right. Kids really needed to talk. And as a result, one of them started self-mutilating. And part of it is, you know, please listen. Listen to your kids. Even when they say, I don't know, or no, like one of my daughters says, no. I know a lot from that word, you know. Um, And the other one is keep an open mind. You know, listen and, and talk and hear. And I want people to understand that Cherokee was this beautiful, sweet little girl that just needed to be heard. And that was one of the reasons she did what she did. She was fed up. She was tired of it. She was tired of, you know, the way life was treating her. She was tired of having to stand up for herself. She was exhausted from it all. And I really do feel like, you know, that she was crying out. That's what that whole thing was about. And also, you know, Teach your children to act with kindness. You can't be over them 24-7, but at least try to instill in them to be kind, at least be kind. Exactly. You know, that's part of the human beings. Right, right. And her story, as horrific as it is, there 
I mean, all you have to do is look at a picture of that girl. I mean, I, I'm like you. I, I saw her picture and I thought, no, that this couldn't be possible. And and she seemed to be like most other kids her age. And, you know, even all of us as human beings, the most powerful thing that we're looking for is love. And she somehow or another seemed to be searching for that and just obviously didn't find what she was looking for, uh, which is, is the sad part of it. But um, it's good to know that in, in my opinion, that, that some of these kids that were friends with hers did come out and, and speak with you. And I think it was probably very therapeutic for them. And it's sad that not all of them had that opportunity, but you know, what was it? What grabbed you when you first read about this event? What grabbed you enough to do the years of research and everything that you did to be able to write this story? Well, it, it was it was very strange in some ways. You know, I was already working on the, the magazine, and I was working on my last book, Who Is Evil, out of Memphis. So I was doing a lot of trips to Memphis. And Cherokee Story made the news, and I, like you said, I saw her picture, and I'm thinking, holy cow. And I didn't have time for anything else, you know. I mean, I was up to my eyes with stuff. And I literally kept feeling a nudge on my left shoulder, just like somebody just poking me, poking me. Okay, I'll look at this story one more time. Okay, that was horrible. And something kept poking me and poking me. And... I kept saying, look, I'm busy. I'm busy. I cannot do this. I've got my magazine going. I've got this book in Memphis. You know, I'm wrapping up. And it just wouldn't leave me alone. And her family feels like that that was her, as crazy as it might sound. Uh-huh. And and I would see just this smile and this face and this aura. And I kept thinking, as I said earlier, what would make this child do this? And that's what grabbed me. Yeah, the and there the was the story within the story, and questions that will never really be answered. As much as we dig and dig and dig looking for those answers, little Cherokee takes them with her, and but luckily through you and and what you've done with her story at least some of those answers are out there for others to learn from and um, you know and hopefully come with a more positive outcome Um, so tell me I know you've written several books let's go over some of the some of the other books that you've written um, some of the titles and, and maybe a short synopsis of them Okay. I can do that. Um, well, I, my first one was How to Recognize the Devil. And that is about uh, crime prevention, uh, common sense self-defense. I have taught that class for years and years and years, and it's everything from keeping uh, yourself safe, um from traveling abroad to preventing home invasion to, you know, 
keeping children safe, uh, red flags of a child predator. Um, I wrote a book about the serial killer, Paul Dennis Reed, which was called When Nashville Bled. And really the focus of that book was crime victims and the way that they are treated in the legal system because Paul Reed uh, was a serial killer that hit Nashville, Tennessee. And when he was captured, the news was all about Paul Reed, not about the people he killed or their families, but all about Paul Reed. And even the victims became Sarah Jackson, the victim of Paul Dennis Reed. And even the people associated with, for example, Sarah's mom became Jenna Jackson, the mother of Sarah Jackson, the victim of Paul Dennis Reed. They were lost in the story, and that's not right. So I spoke to everyone who were the parents of these people, and I said, if one person objects, I won't do this, because they were just chewed up in the media. They were stalked and followed. Um, Even a local media person wanted to send Paul Reed a flower basket or a fruit basket when he was locked up in the jail. Nobody offered to send any of the parents flowers or fruit from the local media. And they said to one, yes, I want to tell my child's story. And so that's what I did is I told their stories. And I also well, talked about how they were treated, how, how we treat the victims and victim survivors in the legal system. You you really have spoken to my heart on that one because that's one of my biggest pet peeves is – you know, no matter what the crime was, whether it's a serial killer or a murder, or whatever, our pop culture has made them into the heroes almost. And just like you say, you can remember the name of the killer, but who remembers the names of the victims? We we don't even hear them in, in so many instances. We don't hear them. We don't see their faces. We don't know who they are. So I'm, right. I'm very, that's one book I will get. <laughs> it's on my <laughs> list because well, I, I truly believe in that with all my heart that, um, you know, crime victims and survivor survivors of crime are just, you know, definitely not treated well within the system, within the media, within our society, because we don't know who they are. Exactly. Exactly. And when, you know, one of the one of the young men that, that Reed killed, his sister was sitting on the stand giving her um her her victim uh her witness testimony. And Paul Reed is sitting there blowing her kisses when she is talking about what a good man and a good brother her brother was and what a loss she will feel with Bert not in her life. And Reed is sitting there blowing her kisses. But yet, while she's giving her her statement, she is not allowed to look at him, to acknowledge him, to say, you know, a cuss word, to say anything. You know, as, as you may know, she has to first give her statement before her attorney. Then she has to give the statement before the, the court without the jury present. Then she has to give her statement with the jury present. Now, that means three times she has to go through all that trauma of giving her that statement, basically being drugged through the coals three times. And now when she's finally giving her statement, he is sitting there blowing her kisses and winking at her, and she's talking about her deceased brother that he 
shot point blank in the back of the head, execution style, while he lay on the dirty floor in the fast food restaurant. And yet nothing is done to him for doing that. It's just it's just disgusting. I, I and I and you know high school kids. Oh. So, uh, so this is you and, know, this is what I wanted to write about. Yes. I'm I'm happy to hear that. Definitely happy to hear that. Well, what what new things are you working on? Do you have some new projects in the fire? I do. I have what uh, a, a new project I'm very proud of. It's called True Crime Case Files Magazine, and it's an online quarterly magazine. It features um, original articles, criminologists. We have field professionals, and we support first responders and crime victims and crime survivors. We have uh, exclusive interviews and stories. For example, um, in one issue, we had uh, Diane Diamond on the cover, and we had an interview with her. We had an excerpt from one investigation that she did and uh, a piece from the book that she did uh, on the Michael Jackson case, her book, Be Careful Who You Love. We've got uh, next issue coming out on June the 1st, and we have a survivor from the Florida school shooting, and she's written a piece on what she endured. Um, we've got, you know, trivia. We've got uh, information. We do not uh, publish crime scene photos. We do not um, publish any photos of the deceased. It's strictly educational. It's nothing that's shock value. Uh, For example, like, you know, how many stories, how many articles can be written on a serial killer? But I did get approached by a woman who had discovered that her father, who was, you know, she was daddy's girl growing up, and then she discovered as an adult, her father was a serial killer. And she asked, would you want to, um, would you want to hear my story? And so she wrote an exclusive about her father for the book and included pictures of her with her daddy while she was growing up. And so we have stories like that. And she wrote about how she felt, you know, as a young girl, as a baby with her daddy. And then she finds out as an adult and he's in prison and he's writing her, asking her to do all this and that and how torn she felt. You know, she loves her father very much, but now he's done all of this. So it was really an educational piece on on the criminal's family and what they go through. Right. And, I, you know, I think that's something that, that also I haven't seen addressed very often is um, – the other side of the story, so to speak, the the mothers, the sisters, the brothers of the serial killers and the criminals and stuff. Just because this person went out there and did all these horrific things doesn't mean that you can blame the whole family. And right. what do they go through? And, and very, you don't see that story told very often. Right. We've had... Now, we've on, had- several articles like that where, um, you know, people have written about, you know, how they felt knowing that their family member had done this. And um, we had uh, actually in this next article, we have a person who sat down 
for forensic purposes for court and interviewed a serial rapist and, you know, wrote about what, what he had to say and why he did what he did. And I think these things are important because we've got to learn from the source. And, and if we find out, you know, if we understand why these people do what they do, you know, that's part of the education. Right, and part of the prevention process as well. Exactly, exactly. Well, it's giving us the whole picture that we're not really getting in in the media reports. Uh, They, you know, basically hit on the sensationalism or the sensational part of the story, but yet there are so many backstories to, to several of these crimes. Now, on your quarterly magazine, if someone wanted to submit an article to you, how would they go about doing that? Well, they can go online to truecrimecasefiles.com, or they can email us at tcezine at yahoo.com, or they could email me at truecrimebook at yahoo.com. And we'd love to hear from folks because we have people who are enthusiasts, people that are readers, true crime readers, and I, you know, I encourage them, hey, if you like reading, you know, why not try your hand at writing? And we've had people that did that. Now, we also have a uh, a person added to our uh, team recently, and she uh, is a crime survivor, and that's going to be her forte, is she is going to start writing about organizations and people that will assist victims of crime and crime survivors. So that That's good should to know. Unfortunately, yeah, should you unfortunately be in, in that situation, you at least know where you can turn and who you can turn to so that you're not lost and you don't feel like you're the only one. That's great. I'm, I would like to connect you with someone who's, well, he hosts the Crime Wire show. Dennis Griffin has started resources for, for surviving victims, and he's working on putting some of those together. And also he's working on the Transparency Project where he's trying to help a lot of these families get um, freedom of information uh information <laughs> a lot of a lot of people trying to trying to get us or running into a lot of brick walls so he's working on that project as well so that might be a good fit um i have all this down i'm going to have to make that introduction for you and okay, see if we yeah, can that'd be great we'd love to hear from him yeah, and you know, it's it's one of those things like a, like a lot of different issues. We have so many people out here going every different direction where if we could collect all of this collective information and and brain power, um we'd be so much stronger. Right. right. Well, and, you know, so, that's, it's it's just a, you know, we're we're a small team. Um, but we all count on one another and we all respect one another. We work well together and we've just, you know, we just banded together and we want this to be a quality piece. And it is, and I'm very proud of it. You know, we just celebrated our one year anniversary and we've got some, some excellent names. We have uh, Joni Johnson, who's a uh, forensic psychologist. And she's written some outstanding pieces for us. 
Wonderful. So is, this is an online magazine, correct? Yes. And we go to truecrimecasefiles.com to subscribe? Yes, we have subscriptions and then we have singles. And the beauty of having it online is we have video and audio and you can click on the different links to send you to, you know, other websites. For example, if you're interested in a book that we're casing uh, or a, a person's website, then you just click on that and it leads you right to it. And we're the only uh, true crime online magazine that has that. Excellent. Well, I'm definitely going there, too. (laughs) Yay! Good. (laughs) I just gave you something to do all weekend, huh? (laughs) You did. I'm going to be busy. So, okay, (laughs) now that we're down to the the last few minutes, um, let's tell our listeners and everyone out there, where can they buy your books? Uh, Any major bookstore outlet. That would include Amazon.com is probably the easiest. Um, and I just got word that is also going to be an audio book. So that should be uh, in the works soon. Um, and then you can also get, of course, the amazing Wild Brew Press. And you can also go to my website, which is truecrimebook.net. Great. And I... I really encourage people to read this book, Bullied to Death, not by death, Bullied to Death, um, the story of Cherokee Harriman. Um, There's just, it's it's a sad story, and there's so much to learn. There's a lot to learn from it, and I, I just feel like it's an important book for any age group, really. Don't you feel like any age group would benefit from this book? Oh, definitely. And a, a percentage of the book sales are going to benefit a national nonprofit organization that's going to focus on the education and prevention of teen suicide. And that donation Wonderful. is going to be made in the memory of charity. Wonderful. Another another incentive to go buy this book, Bullied to Death by Judith A. Yates. Is there anything, parting comments that you would like to make for our listeners today, Judith? Mm, Just be good to each other and be careful out there. I hear that loud and clear. Well, thanks so much for coming on with me today. Um, And until next time, and hopefully we'll get another Wild Blue Press author for the next time. Take care out there, stay safe, and be kind to each other. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.